Amen. Good morning. Welcome back to MCC and to the sixth installment of our series, Uncharted, where we are learning how to take new territory. We're following the work of uh, the Israelites and their partnership with God to take new territory. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how is it that, that we take new territory, and I began to think about sports teams and how they gain territory, how they gain an advantage, how they move forward. And that got me thinking about how sports teams sometimes, in order to move forward, in order to make progress, they have to resort to doing something a little different, a little unexpected. And in fact, that's kind of how I want to frame today. I want to frame today in, the, in, in this way. I want us to talk about trick plays. And it might be something like this. I found this, and I think this is one of my favorite trick plays ever. Watch this with me. It's called the wrong ball. is that, right? Trick plays, they leave the, the opponent kind of just, you know, back on their heels, right? It's like, I don't know. We don't know what to do. We, 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 it was unexpected. We weren't sure how this was going to work out. And, and it worked out really well. And what we've seen so far in this series is that under God's direction, God has devised and encouraged Israel to do a few trick plays in order to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. In fact, we've been talking about the incredible victory of Jericho, this huge city, and certainly God did something amazing there that only God could do. But God had Israel do it in a very unusual way. Remember marching around the city every day for six days and seven times? They didn't, they didn't fire a shot. They didn't do anything. They yelled. They shouted. They blew trumpet. It was a trick play. It was an amazing victory that God gave them. And then we've learned over the last few weeks, we've talked about the little city of Ai. That's the, the little tiny city that after the big win at Jericho, Israel decided, we've got this. We can handle this. We don't even have to send all of our troops. We'll just go. And the Bible says they didn't ask God about fighting against this little city called Ai. And the Bible says that they suffered a terrible defeat. They were routed terribly. Almost 40 of their, their best fighters were killed because of that. And so the Bible says that they inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, all right, now you've learned your lesson. You need me. You need to ask me about it. And so the, so the Bible says that God uh, said, go ahead and fight, and I'm going to give you the victory now. But they did it through a trick play. I don't think we talked about this, but here's what they did at that little city of Ai. Joshua divided the, the troops of Israel into two different groups. And he would attack the city with one half of that group, but the other half of the group, he sent around to the back of the city of Ai and hid them. He said, be, be back there ready to ambush the city. And so Joshua, they began to fight. His half of the, of the troops began to fight against Ai. And at one point, according to plan, Joshua yelled, retreat. They, they started running. Those of us that like Monty Python movies, they're like, run away, right? Run away. And so they run away. Three people like Monty Python. That's okay. So 
So they go running away, and the Bible says that all the troops in Ai, they chased after them. They emptied out of the city, and they began to chase because they're going to destroy the Israelites, right? And so the other half of the Israeli troops that were in ambush came into the city and utterly destroyed the city. And then the troops of Ai turned back, and they saw their city burning, and they panicked, and now they're caught between the two armies of Israel, and they're utterly destroyed. God used a trick play to give them amazing victory at the city of Ai. But today, in today's message, we're going to discover that Israel is the one who gets tricked. But God does something unexpected through it. If you're following along, you can open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. And we're going to read and see what happens in this next part of the narrative. Joshua chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible or an app with you, you you can see it on the screen, and you can uh, follow along there. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, they've heard about Jericho, they've heard about Ai, the incredible victories that have been happening. These kings who were in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the great sea, as far as Lebanon, they came together to make war against Joshua, And Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse, a trick play. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Interesting. So these men of Gibeon, they decide, hey, we're, we're afraid because we see the incredible victories that this God of Israel is giving to this nation. And we don't want to fall victim to that. So you can just imagine, you can picture it, right? Here they are, they're they're wearing their worst clothes. They're probably picking the the scrawniest animals. And they put old, moldy, crusty bread in their sacks. And and they just, they they really sold it really well. And so they convince the nation of Israel that they are from far, far away. They're not a threat. They're not a threat to them. They're from far away, but they've heard about Israel and they want to make a treaty with them. And so the Bible tells us that these guys were, it, 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 notice that it says that they were doing this because they've heard about Yahweh. They've heard about this God of Israel. They're afraid. So this is out of self-preservation. And they're afraid of what this God can do. And so they, they do this ploy. The Bible tells us that, that uh, the men of Israel kind of questioned them, and they were curious about, well, well are, you know, are you really from where you say you are? And, and uh, tell us again where you're coming from. And, and man, th- th- these, these people, they really sold it. And then the Bible says this, and it's very important. Verse 14, it says this. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, here it is, but did not inquire of the Lord. They, they tasted the provisions, they, they, they sampled and they, they looked at it and they assessed from their own standpoint, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. You see, there's a, there's a big idea that I want us to, to talk about today, and that is this. 
what kind of people partner with God to take new territory? What, what do we need to be like? What, what is it? What are the kind of people? What are we like if we're going to partner with God to take new territory in our lives, in our, our spiritual life, maybe in our marriage, in our relationships, in our profession, any, any place where, where you're, you're on the precipice of kind of uncharted territory? Where is God taking us? Well, what does it take? What kind of people get to partner with God and, and take new territory? Well, one of the first attributes we see right here, and that is this. They're the kind of people who seek God for every decision. They seek God for every decision. In fact, I want to challenge and encourage you, be the kind of person who seeks God for every decision. You see, the problem with us, um, and this may be news to some of us, especially if we're under 15, we don't know everything, Right? We think we do, but we don't know everything. We don't know, how many of you have lived long enough to discover that we don't know sometimes what seemingly small decisions, the impact they can have that can be life-changing down the road, right? We can't foresee that all the time. I was going to go to Radford University or I was going to go to James Madison University and I wasn't sure where I was going to go and I almost went to Radford and then I decided to go to JMU and guess what? 31 years later, I'm married to the woman I met at JMU. That was a big decision. It didn't seem as big at the time, right? It didn't. We, we don't know what those decisions are going to be in the future. In fact, it is impossible for us to consistently make good decisions in life without availing ourselves of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. They work together beautifully in our lives if we will allow them to, if we will dive into to the Word and we will dive into God's Spirit to direct us and to lead us in our decision-making. But so often, it is so easy for us to take for granted the presence of God and the leadership and the blessing of God in our lives. And that's what Israel did once again. They failed to inquire. They failed to ask. And so the Bible says that they made a treaty with the people of Gibeon. They swore it by an oath. So let me tell you a little bit about what happened next. Just three days later. Three days later, Joshua and the Israelites discover that they have been had. They discover that Gibeon is not some faraway nation. It is only nine miles away from where they are right now. And that Gibeon is actually on the hit list. It's on God's hit list. It was, it was one of those cities that, that God was, was telling them, you're going to need to destroy this city and, and destroy these people because they're, they're wicked and we're going to take them out. So Israel was mad. The troops were mad. They were angry. They had been taken. They'd been this trick play, man. They had fallen for it. And so they get upset, and they take off toward the city. They go toward Gibeon, and their leaders are probably kind of chasing along behind them. And the reason I know that is because of what happens next. Let's keep looking at what happens next in the story. Beginning in verse 18, they get there, and they confront the people of Gibeon and say, you've tricked us. Why did you lie to us? And they're like, hey, we don't want to die. And then look what happens. Verse 18, but the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord. And by the way, you don't see it on the screen, but that word, the name Lord there, when you see it in small capital letters in your Bible or in your, in your app, that is literally the name, the revealed name of God, Yahweh. 
So they're, so they're saying, you swore this by the name of your God, by Yahweh the Lord. It was sworn, the God of Israel. The whole assembly then, they got mad because they didn't attack. It says the assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, listen, we have given them our oath by the Yahweh, by the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath that we swore to them. But they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. What kind of people partner with God to take new territory? It's the kind of people who keep their word. Be a person of your word. When you make a promise, keep your promise. The Israelites, the troops, they wanted to exact vengeance. They wanted to go after these guys. They've tricked us. They've fooled us. And God wanted us to, to take them out. But the leaders knew we swore an oath. We, we made a promise in the name of the Lord that we would not attack them. And we don't want to bring God's judgment upon us. And so we're going to keep our word. The kind of people God uses are the kind of people who keep their word. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else, he said, is of the evil one. Anything else is, is unnecessary. You shouldn't add anything to it. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Be people of your word. James highlights that and says it even stronger in James chapter 5. He says, do not swear by anything ever. You see, the reason when you take an oath and you swear, what you're, really, what you're implying is that there may be times when I'm not being truthful, but I'm swearing to you right now I am being truthful. Does that make sense? So James is agreeing with Jesus and saying, don't, don't swear at all, really, in that way, but keep your promises. When you make a promise, keep them. I love how Pastor Matt last week talked about this in regard to marriage, and I thought that was so good and so important because, because in our community, in our society, in our culture these days, marriages is, are disposable as, as paper towels. I mean, uh, people just say, well, I'm not happy, and it's not meeting my needs. Listen, friends, you have made, when you marry someone, it is the biggest promise you can make as a human being. That was weak, but it's true. It's the biggest promise. It's the second biggest decision you'll ever make. Who you marry the first is, am I going to follow Christ or not? What are you going to do with Jesus? The second biggest decision you'll probably ever make in your life is who you decide to marry and make these promises to that I'm going to, I'm going to stay true to you. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to love you. Not because of, not an emotional thing. I'm going to, I'm going to make the choice to love you every day, to honor and to keep you and to stay with you. I want to urge you as much as it is as, as possible within you, stay in your marriage. If it's possible to do that, not bringing harm or, you know, we're not talking about abuse and those kind of things. I'm just saying you made a promise to God and to someone else. We should be true to that. I better move on. It's getting really quiet in here. Um, listen, when you took your job, you know, that job that you were thanking God for a year and a half ago and now you're like mad about, you I hate this job, you know, right? When, when you took your job, you made a promise to them. It was an implicit promise. I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to work hard, do my best. I'm going to serve the success of my boss and this company. Isn't that true? 
So who are we as believers to, sh to show up late, to give just a half effort, to not do our best? We made a promise when we accepted that job that we were going to do our best. Be people of your word. Be on time where when you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. Men, show up at dinner time on time. Stop being late. I'm preaching to myself. My wife will amen this in the second service, I promise you. Be people of your word. People with good intentions make promises. People with good character keep them. Be a person of good character. Keep your promises. There's something else, just a, a third little attribute about the kind of people that partner with God to take new territory that I want you to see here as well. And it, and it comes just a little bit further in this same passage in what Joshua said specifically about these people of Gibeon. And that is this. I want to urge you to be people that are merciful. Be a people of mercy. God uses people who are merciful to take new territory. Well, what does that look like in this context? Well, look what the scripture says in verse 25. The Gibeonites are caught. They, they know their deception has been revealed. Here they are. They're facing Joshua and the army of Israel, and they're wondering what's going to happen. Verse 25, this is the Gibeonites speaking. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. They're throwing themselves on Joshua's mercy. They're saying, do whatever seems right. We know that you've caught us. Verse 26, so Joshua saved them from the Israelites. He saved them from the troops, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers. I love that. He said, you know what? You're going to go to work for us. You're gonna, that's how you're going to serve us. You're going to go to work for us. But notice the additional information here. You're going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord will choose. And that is what they are to this day, the writer tells us. What's the point? Well, Joshua showed them mercy, first of all, certainly. He did not kill them. He, they kept their oath, and so he showed them mercy by not allowing the Israelites to take vengeance on them. But notice what, what's more that he did. You're going to be woodcutters. You're going to be water carriers, but not just for our community, he brought them into a very unique role in the worship of the community. You're going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the temple of our Lord, for the altar of our Lord. He brought these outsiders in, close in, right next to the temple, uh, when the temple would be built in the future. He said, you're going to be right next to where God is. You see what he did? He brought these folks real close in to where God is. Number one, probably so they wouldn't, wouldn't corrupt the people. There would be less chance of them corrupting them with their false gods and all that kind of stuff if they're right there next to what, where God is, is working and the ministry and worship is happening. But also he realizes this has the potential to influence them toward God. He brings them close. He brings them into this unique place in the worship of Israel. So shows such great mercy to them. And that's so instructive to us because it reveals and reminds us about who our God is. The scriptures have said from the very beginning, God is a God of mercy. Quick to show mercy, to give blessing, 
to generation upon generation. This is who our God is. He's a God of mercy. And he works through people who show mercy. But this passage that we're going to finish with also reveals some things and more things about who our God is. It's not just about who we are. That's great and that's helpful. And hopefully we can kind of incorporate this into our lives. But it also, this passage, as the narrative continues, gives us a little bit of an insight into who God is. Because here's what's happened next. The Bible says that when the surrounding kings, there were five Amorite kings, these wicked kings that were surrounding this area, when they heard about all the things that God had been doing, and when they heard about Gibeon making a treaty with Israel, they got afraid. And the Bible says that they attacked and decided, we are going to attack this nation. We're going to go against Gibeon. We're going to go against this God, this Yahweh, and we're going to destroy them. Um, we can't, they're a threat to us. So these five uh, kingdoms of, of smaller cities uh, all around, they, these kings, they all brought their groups, troops together, and they all assembled at Gibeon, and they began to attack the nation of Gibeon. You see, the other thing about Gibeon is that Gibeon had a pretty formidable army. They were pretty strong, and so these guys got afraid. Man, if, if these guys from Israel and Gibeon are now partnered in a treaty, what's going to happen to us? We need, need to attack them now. So they gathered together, and they began to attack. And so what happened? Well, Gibeon got on the phone to Joshua in Israel. Uh, hello, Joshua. You know that treaty that uh, we kind of tricked you into signing? Yeah, well, we're being attacked, and we need your help. So Joshua and his troops take off for Gibeon to support them and to protect them and to fight on their behalf. In fact, the Bible says that they marched all night. They made the 20-mile trek to Gibeon all night long. They, they marched there. Uh, elevation, actually, they went up some 3,000 feet in elevation over that 20 miles. This was a hard all-night trek. But they surprised all of these Amorite kings with their, with their being there so quickly, and they attacked them. And the Bible says they began to destroy them. They began to defeat them right there around Gibeon. And all of those five kings and their warriors began to run. They began to retreat and run away. And then this is what happened in chapter 10. Are you still with me? I love this story. I love the Bible. It's so alive. So as they're running away, verse 11 of chapter 10, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Ezekah, the Lord, listen, I love this, the Lord hurled huge hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On that day that the Lord gave the, the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, listen to what Joshua prayed. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Isn't this awesome? This is, I could so see this as an epic movie. I mean, this, this is like a blockbuster kind of movie, right? Incredible what God, 
What, is, what does it reveal? What does it show us about God? There's just two things here I want you to see about our God, the kind of God we serve. And that's kind of the second big, big idea for today is not, what kind of, not just what kind of people partner with God to take new ter- territory, but what kind of God do we serve? The first thing I want you to see is this, and this is important for some of you to hear today. God is able to redeem our biggest blunders. We serve a God who redeems our biggest mistakes. That's huge for some of us in this room. In fact, I would say it's probably huge for most of us. You see, Israel entered into this terrible treaty. They shouldn't have done it. They didn't ask God about it. They were deceived. They were tricked. Gibeon fooled them. They pulled a trick play on them. And man, maybe Israel kind of had a right. Like, well, look, you you weren't honest with us. And so we're not going to, no, no. Israel decided to keep their oath. And and they they kept their oath before God and, and to Gibeon. And so God took this deception of Gibeon and he took this bad decision of Israel and he turned it for good. Do you see that? Because the Bible says, if you read further in chapter 10, you'll discover that not only were these, these nations, these, these um, surrounding kingdoms were destroyed, their kings were put to death, they were utterly destroyed. God took all of that deception and that bad decision making and he redeemed it and he used it for good, for his purposes and for the good of the nation of Israel. That's what our God does for you and me. He can redeem our biggest blunders. And then there's One other piece about God that I want you to see here. And I don't know if you noticed it or not. Did you notice God's trick plays? Did you notice the trick plays God did in this passage? Verse 11, what does it say that God did as they were retreating, as as these kings were retreating away? What did he do? He hurled down large hailstones on them, killing more of them than had even been killed by the army. That's our God. You know, it's, it, I, I love that. It's kind of funny. Um, I mean, I love it if you're not on the receiving end of it. That's good. If you're on the receiving end of it, it's not so happy. Um, I, I remember doing a wedding here not too long ago, and a gentleman was, was standing outside in the foyer, and he was, you could just tell he was a little hesitant about coming in. And I, I spoke with him briefly. I said, how's it going? He said, I'm a little nervous. I said, why? He said, well, he said, you know, God and I haven't been on speaking terms for too long, and I kind of have a feeling he's got it in for me. <laughs> and I just kind of... Grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and he was kind of taller than me. And I grabbed him, and I said, hey, you know what? God has perfect aim. If he wanted to take you out, he can take you out anywhere. (laughs) Somehow I don't think that was the encouraging word he was actually (laughs) hoping for. But it's true, right? It's like, you don't have to be here for God to take you out. Like, my point is God has perfect aim. And when he hurls down his trick plays, man, you, you just might as well say, yeah, you, you, uncle, you got me, right? Did you catch the other trick play that God did? God, in answer to Joshua's prayer, the audacity of Joshua's prayer. You see, Joshua was a little nervous that the sun was going to go down. It was going to get dark before they could finish the job. Before they would have time to really get rid of this army and, and completely destroy these five kings and their armies that had come together. And so Joshua has the audacity to pray for God to extend the day. And God extended the day. 
What does that tell me about our God? It tells me that our God can do the impossible. Our God can do the impossible. Our God, listen, will suspend the very laws of physics that he created and put in place if it serves his purpose. Do you see this? God stops the sun. I don't know if he stopped the sun. I don't know if he stopped the earth's rotation. I don't really care how he did it. All we know is that the Bible says that he did this and they fought for almost a full day. Now catch that. God can do the impossible. Israel had to do Israel's part. What did God do? God extended the day, but Israel had to fight. Do you see that? God, let's say it this way. We do what we can do, and we trust God to do what only God can do. Amen? We serve a God of the impossible, and that's the kind of people he wants us to be. Can we believe that God can and will do the impossible in his people and through his people? That's who our God is. He can do the impossible. So my question for you today as I start to close this message is this. I have two questions. First question is this. What is your impossibility today? What's your impossibility? What struggle are you fighting and you are worn out and almost ready to surrender? What attack are you under and your hope is nearly gone? What obstacle are you facing and you don't know what to do? Friend, listen. Our God is the God of the impossible. Nothing, Jesus said, nothing shall be impossible for our God. Did you know it's not even difficult for our God? Like, God, I know you can heal a cold, but Lord, can you really heal cancer? That's a tough one. <laughs> There's no difference with God. It's all possible. I don't know what impossibility you're facing today, my friend. But when it's faced down by Yahweh, the God of Israel, our God, it's nothing to him. He wants you to have hope today. And I encourage you to believe. Can you believe that God can do the impossible for you? In fact, I want to invite you to come this coming Wednesday to our all-church prayer meeting. In fact, that's what I'm going to call it this Wednesday night. We're going to call it impossible prayer. And I want, to, I want to encourage you to bring whatever your impossibilities are. Maybe they're personal. Maybe they're financial. Maybe, uh, maybe they're health-related. Maybe, maybe they're relationship issues. Whatever, they, whatever the impossible is in your life right now, I want you to come Wednesday night because we're going to pray to this God of the impossible and invite him to do what only he can do. In fact, one impossibility, well, somebody's told us it's an impossibility is can we have 200 people at our midweek prayer night I don't think that's an impossibility what do you think all right maybe you do think it's an impossibility because I ain't getting nothing but I want to invite you come what if we have 200 people listen 
what if we have 200 people show up and we pray together about one specific need and God shows up and does a miracle? Like, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. And prayer is worth it whether we see that answer in the moment or not. It's because you're moving heaven. You're moving the heart of heaven through prayer. Join us this Wednesday night for prayer. Second question, last question I want to close with today is this, and this may sound a little odd, but who are your Gibeonites? Who are your Gibeonites? What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Gibeon were people who were near, but they were still outside of the kingdom of God. They were close to to Israel, but, but they were still on the outside and they were marked for death. You see, we all have loved ones and friends and neighbors and coworkers who are near to us, but they're outside of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says, Jesus said in John 3, 18, he said, they're condemned already to eternal death because they do not believe in the Son of God. So who are your Gibeonites? Who are the people around you that God is saying, I've put you right next to these people, to that individual, so that you can draw them in close. You see, what I'm asking you to do is do what Joshua did. Draw those people close to you. Maybe you draw them close into to serving and doing so, doing, making a difference. Maybe you invite them, hey, come help me at the food pantry. You're getting them in proximity with God's people. And maybe, just maybe, as, as they begin to serve with you and you, you begin to just be in a little more proximity with them, just maybe they begin to observe and see this God in action. And they see this God in your life and how much he loves. Just maybe. God wants to use you to be the bridge to bring those people close. Does that make sense? Listen, it's not about, do I know how to witness? I'll, I'll get nervous. What if I say something? No, no, it's just invite them close. Invite them to serve alongside you. Invite them to a group. Maybe it's a divorce care group or a men's group or a women's group. Just invite them to come and, hey, come on, we're just kind of learning and growing and trying to improve. Just come on with me. Let God be God and do what he can do and what only he can do. But you do your part. You are the bridge between those outside of the kingdom and how God wants to bring them into the kingdom because God wants to show them and reveal to them, listen, his ultimate trick play, the cross. The cross is God's ultimate trick play. What do I mean by that? Well, as our folks come to share communion, I want to invite you to come. They're going to begin to serve as communion today, but I want to get your, I want to have your attention. Listen, What do I mean by God's ultimate trick play? Here's what I mean. From Satan's perspective, the cross was a total defeat of of God. Yes, you can go ahead and begin to serve. The cross was a total defeat. Do you see this? From Satan's perspective, Jesus was dead. He had killed the Son of God. He had stopped this plan that God had. Satan, no doubt, for those three days when Jesus' body was laying in the tomb, Satan, no doubt, was rejoicing and celebrating and having a party like they've never had before. From Satan's perspective, the cross 
It was a total defeat of God. But what we know in reality was happening was what happened on that cross was that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, for my sins, for the sin of all mankind, of all humanity. He, his blood paid the price for forgiveness for all of our sins. And when he rose again three days later, he had won the greatest victory the world has ever known. So the cross, what the enemy saw as a defeat, you and I now see as a symbol of the greatest victory ever accomplished. The salvation of all mankind. Isn't that true? It's the ultimate trick play. God fooled us again, but this time the consequences are eternal and always wonderful. And God is still using that play today to save lives. Once you've been served, will you stand with me? We're gonna worship God with communion. We've sung about the blood of Jesus today. We've sung about his cross and what he's done. And so in this moment, as you look at these elements, in fact, let me get mine. As you look at these elements of the bread and the juice, will you let the bread remind you that Jesus really did come in the flesh. He really did live a sinless life. He really did die for you. And he really did rise again. Jesus said, if you eat my flesh, and he was speaking symbolically, if you receive me fully into yourself, let me become a part of you. He said, you'll, you'll really live. That's, that's when you'll truly be alive. So Lord, as we hold this piece of bread today, we say thank you for the ultimate trick play. Thank you that you really came and you died and you paid the penalty for my sin and all of our sin. Thank you, Lord, that today we can celebrate what you've done because we've received in our own lives the results of what you've done. Lord, for anyone here listening to the sound of my voice who has not received you as their Savior, God, may, even in this moment, they can invite you. If your Holy Spirit is leading them, if they're feeling drawn to you, Lord, they can simply say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I realize I'm, I'm in need of a Savior. And I believe you're the Son of God and that you died for me and that you rose again. And I receive you into my life. Lord, just that simply, they can be transferred from death to life. Just like the Gibeonites were that day. You have made a treaty with us. And said you're on a path to destruction. But now, now you can be on a pathway to eternal life. So Lord, we say thank you because that's what this symbolizes today. Thank you for coming and dying for us. And thank you for what this bread represents. Let's eat the bread together with thanksgiving, will you? Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Lord, as we think about the cup, we thank you that it represents your blood that does wash away every sin, every stain. And so, Lord, we say thank you for the high price that you paid. This was not something that was simple. It's the dearest price that's ever been paid. You sacrificed your place in relationship with God and took our place on the cross. No dearer price has ever been paid than that. So Lord, today, as we prepare to receive this cup, we want to say thank you for the price you paid, for the blood you shed that washes away our sins. We honor you and bless you and thank you today for what you've done for us. The most impossible miracle for us was that you brought us from death to life. <laughs> it's the greatest miracle we'll ever experience. And it's because of your blood. And we say thank you. Thank you for your blood. Will you drink the juice together today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then I'm going to ask you to do something before you leave today. Don't worry. Not crazy. Lord Jesus, thank you. These precious, precious people, they're amazing. You know each and every one of them by name. You know everything about them. You know them better than they know themselves, and you love them and you care for them. For those today that are facing impossible situations, may they find hope in our God who is the God who does the impossible. And Lord God, for those that feel that they've made decisions or choices in their lives that are irredeemable, may they find hope and confidence in you that you will redeem even the junk, the bad decisions we've made, that there is still redemption to be found in you. Will you give them hope for that? courage to continue to walk out their journey with you and to trust you and to surrender even those deepest places to you. Build them up and encourage them today. I ask you, God, to bring us back together this Wednesday for prayer. I pray, God, this place would be at least this full on Wednesday night as we bring our impossibilities to you. Say, God, I don't know how you'll do it. And I'm not going to give you a menu. I'm just going to say, Lord, will you? Can you? Please do. Help us to assemble back together in faith, believing in our impossible doing God. I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, his one and only Savior. Amen. Amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Actually, if you're a guest with us and you're going to join us for newcomers, we'll be starting in about uh, 10 or, or 14 minutes or so. And so um, here's what I want to ask you to do. Before you race out of here, we've got three or four minutes. Will you take another couple of moments, maybe speak to some people, encourage each other today, bless each other. Just take a couple of moments to do that. God bless you. Have an awesome day. We'll see you next week for the wrap-up of this series. <laughs>